All right, so yeah, 1 Peter, I think I mentioned it last week to um, maybe start reading it because we're going to spend about next 10, 11 weeks sitting in 1 Peter. Um, And it's a terrific book and there's a lot of wisdom contained in it uh, on how to actually live. And I was trying to think of a a title for the series and, and as I just read the book over and over and over, I got this sense that that it actually is about giving some instruction on how to live a Christian life in a non-Christian culture. Now, one thing I've discovered over many years of being a Christian and being in church is that Christianity is much more about how we live than what we say we believe. See, the truth is how we live is directly related to what we actually believe compared to what we say we believe. And I was sharing with the the staff at Coast Christian School this week that um, one thing I've been challenged with personally is to reduce the gap between my professed Christianity and my lived Christianity. What I want to do is reduce that gap so what I say I believe actually lines up with how I live. An example of where that might be a distance. So, for example, I might say, you know what, I believe God answers prayers. I believe he wants us to pray, that that's the way to communicate with God. And then an issue comes up in my life and I do everything in my power to solve it and find I can't and as a last resort I pray about it. Now, to me, that those two things are not aligned. If I truly believe God wants me to commune with him prayerfully, but I only do it as a last resort when I exhaust all my own wisdom and, and whatever I might have, you know, there's, there's a gap there between what I say I believe and how I actually function. And, and as we go through this book, I think what we're going to see, we're going to see some wisdom and some direction and some counsel as to how to really reduce that gap so we live in the reality of not only who we are, but who, what we say we believe. And so, um, yeah, I, I was thinking of that and I was thinking of the title and uh, I was thinking, well, in Australia in 2019, we, we are becoming more and more a culture that is trying to push Christianity away. We're we're, um, removing ourselves from our Christian heritage as a nation. We're removing God out of classrooms and out of workplaces and even out of conversations and Twitter. Okay, There's a whole range of things that we see happening around us and maybe this book is really relevant to, to where we find ourselves in 2019. Today I'm going to just kick off with the first five verses of chapter one. Let me read them to you. So this is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you 
who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And I looked at that, five verses, and I thought, where do I go? What do I do? And so I sat in that for a while, and I got to the point where I've gone, there's too much. I don't think I can communicate what's actually being said here. So we're going to try, just a verse at a time. And the first thing we see, other than Peter introducing himself, he's saying this is to God's elect. Other translations might say God's chosen people or God's people. This is who the letter's written to. The elect, the chosen people, God's people. And the word there, the Greek word used there that we translate as, as chosen is electos. And the best way to understand that is that we are chosen by God because we have freely accepted to step into faith in him. So it's not this idea of God sits back and he will choose random people and some will be in and some won't be in. That's not the picture we get from this word. It's nearly like, I was trying to think of, a, of an analogy. It's nearly like a, um, a sergeant in an army and, he, and he's got this special mission that he needs to undertake and he goes to a squad of, of soldiers and he chooses every single one of them, I choose you for this mission, I choose you for this mission, I choose you for this mission. And after he has chosen every one of them, they then have the freedom to say, yes, I will do it, or no, I don't want to. It's not like some are chosen and some are not. There's this picture of all are chosen and those who accept their choosing are the ones who step into this. Now, God, God's not a puppeteer just directing people's lives. We have this thing called free will. We can, God does not want to force us into relationship with him. No, no loving relationship exists through force. There is mutual choice from each to, to actually be involved. So that's the first thing. The next thing we see is that um, he addresses these people as exiles or foreigners other translations use the word uh, aliens, exiles or foreigners. And this really is, a, is an identity piece. And it's basically saying that um, we are exiles or foreigners or aliens to this world because our true citizenship is not of this world. If we have been made alive through God's spirit and we are born again, spiritually alive, we are no longer citizens of this earthly world. We are citizens of heaven. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. And so there's, there's this idea that we live as exiles or aliens, people who don't really belong. And so I wonder, why do I spend so much time and energy trying to belong? Trying to live like the world tells me to live. And we base our choices on that and we, we, we wrap our identity up in that. And God's saying, this is not who you truly are. Think about a passport. It's probably the one document that, that you have, if you have one, that, that would be a key indicator to your identity. And it's linked to a nation. It's linked to, to an area. And so Paul's talking to these people who are living in all these different places. He's saying, your true citizenship is not in this place where you live. Your true citizenship is, 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 is heaven. That's part of your identity. 
You're citizens of the kingdom of God. And the last thing he mentions in verse 1 is, is where these people are. And he gives a number of places. Uh, all of them are in modern-day Turkey. Um, it was just part of the, the, the area that the gospel was spreading to. And Paul was writing to these people who were living in these places and finding it tough to be a Christian. And so that's how he starts off. And then he moves into verse 2. And uh, this is where it really gets into the identity part. Now remember, Paul didn't write this in verses. This is just something we've added on, but it just helps us separate some of this. And so there's this picture that we are chosen, we are set aside, we are sanctified for obedience, and we are sprinkled with the Messiah's blood. And so this chosen part, I've just touched on that. We are chosen, we are called out by God. He calls us by name. He knows us personally. He wants to do life with us. And we have an option to accept that invitation or not. And then there's this idea that, the, that as Christians, as people called out, we're set aside or made holy. We're set aside or made holy. And the idea of this is, is that the, the Christian people in that time were, were like were like signposts. They were pointing others to the reality that the kingdom of God is now available. Like, look to these people who were living as Christians in that context, Paul, Peter's saying. And, and when, when you look at how you're living in that context in, in those days, there was something different about you. And the difference was pointing people to a reality that Peter and Jesus in his time was calling the kingdom of God. That there's a different way to live, different set of standards, different set of ideals, different set of practices, different set of ways of looking at the world, looking at who God is and how he interacts with us. And so through what Jesus did, through his life, death and resurrection, and through the impartation of the Holy Spirit, God has made Christians, you and I, holy Now, I don't know how often we think of ourselves as being holy. We are holy. We are set apart. We are signposts to the kingdom of God. And we're holy not just because the Holy Spirit is renewing us and transforming us to become more like Jesus, but we're we're holy because um, God's Spirit is in us. And as we look through all this whole series on the temple and the tabernacle, remember there was always this separation between God's presence and everyone else because sin separated that. The Holy Spirit now lives in you as a believer. There is no separation between you and God. You are set apart. You are holy. The next bit I love is is he says that through obedience... Obedience to Jesus Christ, this is one thing that sets us apart as our, as our true identity. Through obedience to Jesus Christ, the way Christians live and behave and interact and respond reflects God and his character. Let me just read a couple of verses out of John chapter 14 and 15. This link between obedience and relationship with Jesus. I'll just read a few verses in chapter 14 of John. If you love me, obey my commandments. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. 
All who love me will do what I say. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. There's a real clear connection between being obedient to Jesus Christ and that expressing our love for him. It's pretty clear. Jesus says, if you don't do the things I said to do, you don't love me, regardless of what you say you believe. And this is what I'm coming back to at the beginning. We can say all these things about Jesus, I believe this, I believe that, and then we just do our own thing. Scripture's pretty clear. Those two things don't align. So obedience is a key thing. And it's part of our identity. And identity as a Christian, part of the, the DNA, part of the thing that we will get, that we'll understand is that obedience reflects intimacy and love for the Father. And then there's this passage about being sprinkled with blood. Doesn't sound real nice. But it's a reminder of the covenant promises between God and his people. I want to take you to a passage back in Exodus. Just look at this. So Moses has just got all the law and all the commandments from God up on Sinai. And he's explained this to the people. And as he's explained it, he's saying, and they've all said, we're going to do everything you said. Moses, all that stuff that God told us to do, we're going to do it. And so to, to consolidate that promise of what God's requiring and what the people said they're going to do, we read this. Moses took the book of the covenant and read it to the people and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said and we will obey. And there's that connection again with obedience. Then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. It was like sealing the deal. You've been sprinkled with the blood, the covenant, you've agreed to it, it's a done deal. Let's get on with it. Now we know they weren't real good at that as we read the story further on and a whole range of things happen. But then we see Jesus with his disciples celebrating the Passover. Remember the Passover, the blood had to be shed and the blood was put across the door frames so the angel of death did not take the firstborn in the household and the whole Hebrew nation was saved because of that. And so they're celebrating that very event and Jesus says that here is, he had the cup of wine and here is the cup and this is the blood of the new covenant. Take part of it, take it in. Again, it's this, this blood connection that's sealing the covenant where, where Jesus, and if we, if we look at the covenant in the New Testament, it's this idea that God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he does that through the indwelling Holy Spirit. No longer are we doing this stuff through law and sacrifice and going to the temple. That doesn't happen anymore because that's been dealt with and the Holy Spirit indwells and we are sprinkled with his blood figuratively because the reality is that the Holy Spirit is alive in us. We've been born again and therefore we're aligned with this new covenant. So these few things, 
that we've looked at, the idea of being chosen and we've been made holy and that through obedience we have relationship and we're sprinkled with blood. All these things are part of our true identity in Christ. I don't know how often you think about yourself in these terms, if at all. But Scripture right here very clearly is saying, this is who you are. This is how God sees you and I. And we need to be reminded of this. We actually need to be reminded of who Jesus says we are. Because it's very easy for us to grab hold of all the other voices that are coming our way. Just think of the advertising industry. Who are you according to the advertising industry? Well, your identity is wrapped up in what you wear, what brands you wear, how you look, how successful you are, what sort of car you drive, where you live, how many likes you have, how many followers you have. All those things is the message that comes our way over and over. That's who you are. And Scripture just does a 180 with that and goes, no, no, that's not who you are. And we need to be reminded of that. Our identity, God, I'll say this, God continually calls us to live into saying, sorry, live into being who he says we are. That's what he calls us to. And if we're not sure who he says we are, then we wallow around in, in looking for meaning and identity from all types of things, from people, from from material possessions but what I love about this is that God actually doesn't define us by our behavior he defines us by his purposes it's his purpose for us as individuals his purpose for us as the church it's his purpose for us as his children that he says this is who you truly are let me help you live into that Too often we fluff around with, I remember, I think it's a C.S. Lewis quote where he said, Christians are, are too content, I'm paraphrasing, Christians are too content with mediocrity. It's like you'd rather build mud pies in a slum than go and have a holiday at the beach. We often don't realise what is offered to us in our life with Christ. And we wallow around in just the stuff that, that our senses can grab hold of or what our society says we need to be like. There's so much more to it than that. Verse 3, And then through his mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope. And this is directly related to what Jesus has done. This new birth. What God did for Jesus through his resurrection, Jesus does for us. Think about that. The same Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead is the Spirit that's in you. The same Spirit. And so He's given us new birth. He has made us alive. There's a great passage in John chapter 4 where Jesus talks to, to Nicodemus about this. And He's gone, hang on, I know the Scripture's inside out. I can't go back into my mother's womb and get born again. What are you talking about? Jesus goes, no, nah, we're not talking about physical birth. We're talking about a spiritual birth where you have become alive spiritually and that life cannot be extinguished. 
There's this new birth and it's a beautiful thing. And then he goes on to talk about a living hope. Hope is something that gets us through when times are tough. People would argue that one of the greatest curses of Western society today is hopelessness. We have so much materialistically, but there's a lack of hope in people's lives. But with hope, uh, just try to think about your own situation. What have you been able to go through in life because there's a hope in Christ? Because we know who wins in the end. We know the outcome. And, And this hope is more than just us as individuals being transformed into the image of Jesus. It's, it's actually about God recreating and redeeming the world, creation. Peter touched on that last week when we looked at, at um, Revelation 22 last week. This beautiful picture of what is to come, where, where the earth is completely renewed, where God's presence in the city of Jerusalem is open to everyone. The gates will not be shut. We can come and go in the very presence of God freely. It's a beautiful picture. That's what we're heading towards. And when we have that realisation and that hope, we can endure whatever's going on right now. We truly can. And when I think about the context where Peter wrote this and some of the terrible persecution the Christians were going through, the hope they had I think is a key, key ingredient to them persevering and going through and just going, you know what? This is not our reality. We're not citizens here. This is not who we are. We're in this place, but this is not forever. It's a really cool picture. Verse four. And then we touch on this identity piece again because we're talking about inheritance. And so there's, again, this inferred image of we are the children of God. We are going to inherit all that he has. His kingdom in its entirety is what we will inherit as his children. And so through inheritance, we've got this picture that this inheritance that is promised for you will never perish or fade or spoil or decay or ruin. It won't wear out. It is eternal. And the hope that we have in that place, that this inheritance cannot be taken from us, cannot be contested by another sibling. We actually share it. And this inheritance is stored up in heaven. Now, don't think some ethereal place up in the clouds, but more of it's a reality that we can't quite see yet because we're not there. Remember the kingdom of God was ushered in by Jesus Christ, but has not yet been fulfilled here on earth. It's not yet been fulfilled. And it will when he returns. And we sang about that just before. And it's again part of what we say we believe as Christians, but do we truly believe it? That Jesus will return and the earth will be restored and everything will be made perfect. And there'll be no more tears or pain or suffering or decay, or death, or sin, all of that will be gone. And we're stepping into this inheritance. 
And this kingdom of God that we're talking about, this inheritance that we're going to have, there's this, this inference that on the last day, on the day when all this happens, that's when this becomes our reality. And then in verse 5, he, he, he basically says, well, if that inheritance is kept aside for you and it's kept secure and one day it's going to be revealed in its entirety, then Peter is saying to these followers of Jesus, well, just as the kingdom reality is actually being kept safe for us, we are being kept safe for it. God's at work in our lives. We are being kept safe for it. And through our faith, we are being kept secure and shielded and protected until, uh, by God until he fulfills his intents and purposes. God is at work in your life constantly. I would love to, I don't know if I can, I don't know if this is possible, but one day sit down with Jesus and go through my life and let him show me all the times he intervened that I know nothing about. Imagine that film. There's a few that I do know about. There's a few key things in my life where for some reason I made this decision and if I didn't, something bad could have happened. They're the few things I might think I know about. But what about all the times God's just at work in your life? And we don't know about it. We don't realise it. He's keeping us safe. And all this will be made right when Jesus returns and fulfils his promise to have his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We're not talking about floating on some clouds, playing harps. That would be a crap life. Who wants to do that? Sorry. Any harp players here? Nah, okay, good. I want to live in this place. I want to live where there's mountains to climb, places to swim and people to eat with. And that, that's the picture we get. That's what we're heading towards, where we are physical people, resurrected bodies. Jesus was the first, and we will all follow after him, resurrected physical bodies in a physical world with God being absolutely present. What a picture. What a picture. And so that's only five verses, and it's only just the start of Peter's letter, but just sitting in that, he's painting this picture of Hey, if you guys really get who you are, who God says you are, and if you understand the hope that you have and the new life that's been given, then that's the basis, that's the foundation for living in this culture that is not conducive to being a follower of Christ. It sets us up well for going forward to say, okay, not sure what's coming up yet, not sure what battles I'm going to face, I'm not sure what opposition is going to come my way, but regardless, the foundation that's been set is who God says I am and what he has promised to us, that is enough to enable me to go forward. And not only that, we don't have to do it on our own, we actually do it together. And we strengthen one another as we do this. 
And when I'm feeling a bit weak and a bit down and a bit defeated, you can speak courage into me. And when when you're feeling like that, I can speak courage into you. And, And together, we can actually live into the reality of what God's saying. It means to live for him in this world until he redeems it fully. I want to finish just... Um, reading the same five verses just from the message. It sort of simplifies it a little bit. But just listen to the language. So he says here, this is 1 Peter 1 verses 1 to 5. I, Peter, am an apostle on assignment by Jesus the Messiah, writing to exiles scattered to the four winds. Not one is missing, not one forgotten. God the Father has his eye on each of you. And has determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May everything good from God be yours. What a God we have. And how fortunate we are to have him. This father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life. And have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us and the future. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole. Let me pray for us. So Father God, I thank you that just touching a small, small part of your word can instill in us a number of things. I just pray that we'll be realigned with the truth of who you say we are that our identity will be found in you, not in anything to do with our own talents, our our own skills, our own situation. I thank you that you call us to live above and beyond that. I pray that the truth of who you say we are will settle deep in the hearts and minds of every one of us. And from that place we can live in your world. And God, I thank you that you have made us alive spiritually, that our citizenship is no longer part of this world that is full of sin and death and decay, but our citizenship is in heaven. It's with you. And through your indwelling spirit, your desire is to shape us and to mould us and to transform us so we can be signposts to the community around us. People who point others to you, God, and say that you are a good father, you are a loving father, you are a forgiving father. And so, Jesus, as we just sit in this space this morning, whatever it is that each of us needs, I pray you would reveal yourself afresh. I pray you would solidify some truth where we need that. I pray you would increase our hope and our faith where we need that. But most of all, I pray that you would have your way in us for your glory and for your honour. And we thank you for that. Amen.